Well, welcome. Glad to see you guys here tonight. I've been practicing saying tonight all day. <laughs> we are so glad to have you for our Good Friday service. We're starting a series called Run, Devil, Run. It's going to carry on through Easter and then a few weeks following. And we are looking at uh, the idea tonight that there are two opposing forces, powerful, deadly, awesome forces at odds with each other in this world. And no, I'm not talking about when your mom and your, and your wife get in an argument and you're in the middle. Not that that's ever happened. My mom and my wife are right here, but they're not sitting next to each other. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not that that's ever happened to me. This is hypothetical. No, what we're talking about is the battle between good and evil, the battle between heaven and hell, the battle between what's right and what's wrong, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. That there's a very real battle going on, and the battleground is this earth that we inhabit. And the prize in that battlefield are the lives and the souls of the men, women, and children that live on it. That's the prize. And I wonder tonight, as we think about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I wonder how many people go through life not even aware that this battle is raging all around them. And I wonder tonight how many people feel like you're trapped between those two opposing forces and you struggle because it seems like the, the darkness is getting the best of you. I wonder how many feel defeated, discouraged, depressed, and undone. And I wonder, I wonder how many know the victory that is found in a cross and in an empty tomb, and how many live in that victory as a lifestyle, and every day there is life renewing them because they don't only know the victory, they live in the victory each day. Guys, that's what we want to explore tonight. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to start to the very beginning of the narrative and the account in Genesis chapter 3 because this battle has been raging since the beginning of time. And in that battle, there was a beautiful garden and there was uh, two people there and, and it was good. And then evil entered the garden and it led humanity astray. And those two people made a faithful choice that affects us today. And that choice had consequences. It has consequences for their life and it has consequences for our lives today. It even had consequences for the one who brought that evil into the garden. And that's where we'll pick up the story. Genesis chapter 3 verse 14. It says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Anybody have weirded out and creeped out and scared us of snakes? There you go. <laughs> Look no further. Here's the important part. He says, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What's he saying? God is saying that there is a descendant of Eve that will come one day that who will, will right every wrong and who will ultimately crush the enemy, Satan's head, even though it will wound him in the process, this one will come. Now that's a promise you and I would take. If we had enemies, not, not that we ever, have, we don't have enemies, right? I mean, 
We love everybody. But suppose you had an enemy. You would take that deal. Hey, they might get the best of me a little bit, but I'll win. We'd take that every time. Well, that's the scenario that God set up. And that's why we can call Good Friday good. Because if you went across the hall to the four-year-olds and asked, who is this deliverer that would crush Satan and bring about life back to humanity and restore all that God wanted to restore? Guess what they would say? His name is Jesus. And that's right. And we can call Good Friday good. Not because he suffered and bled and died. Not because he was tortured. Not because he was left alone. All those things were temporary. We call it good because the temporary setback of Friday gets eclipsed by the permanent victory of Sunday. And we celebrate it because of that. See, long before Noah and Abraham, and the Old Testament law, and the prophets that were to come. In Genesis chapter 3, you got to see how cool this is. In the third chapter of the Bible, God promised this deliverer would undo everything that Satan had done in that moment where that faithful choice was made, and original sin entered our world. Now, when you think about original sin, I want you to think about it as a tsunami that has come to the coast of humanity and overwhelmed it. It's not just a a tidal wave where a, a tidal wave would come and get everybody wet and then go back out to the sea. No, a tsunami is a wall of water that comes over the coast and it settles in on land and it saturates everything. When that choice was made and original sin entered the world, it saturated every single thing about this planet. And that tsunami has not receded back into the waters. It is still infecting every one of us today. Because that faithful choice brought about a sin nature in you and I. That there is an impairment and a brokenness in our lives. And that's why Jesus came. He came to undo all that Satan had done in that moment. In fact, I'll tell you this. God's agenda in your life and in this world is simply this. It is to restore what has been lost. He wants to restore what's been lost. What does God want to do? What is he working to do in this world? He's working to restore it and renew it more and more like Eden was. What is God trying to do in our relationships? What is he able to do in our families is to bring harmony and peace among each other that Adam and Eve would have had before sin entered the world and broke their relationship apart. He wants to bring harmony back to relationships in our lives. What is God wanting to do in your life? He is wanting to bring restoration and restore you back to himself, that he would not count your sins against you, but have an intimate relationship with you like Adam and Eve would have had in the garden, and they saw him face to face. He wants us to live a life not dictated by the agenda of darkness, but dictated by the things in his kingdom, things like love and holiness, peace and purpose. Can I tell you that agenda that God is working for is being challenged in your life all the time. Satan is challenging God's agenda for your life all the time. Think about this. If Satan was brash enough to come into a perfect place called Eden, 
and approach perfect people like Adam and Eve and challenge God's agenda for their lives, why would we be surprised that he would come into our lives and in our world and attempt to get us off track of God's agenda for our lives? We shouldn't be surprised at all. In fact, he even challenged what Jesus was here to do. He challenged Jesus' agenda. See, Satan's agenda for Jesus was this. He wanted to kill him and to keep him from God's purpose. You read through the Gospels, he's all the time trying to get in the way of what Jesus was trying to do. I'm going to give you a couple examples. First is found in Luke chapter 22. Chapter 22, it says this. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted, and they agreed to give him some money. See, Satan put it in Judas's mind to betray Jesus who had loved him and served him and called him to himself. Satan was the one that put it in his mind. And Satan was the one that put it in the mind of those religious leaders that they should kill Jesus. The best thing that they could do for the nation and for themselves was to kill him. He didn't stop there. There was another instance in uh, Matthew chapter 16 that says this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And on the third day, he would be raised to life. He told them God's plan. He told them what was going to happen. He, he told them this beautiful story of all that was going to do, God was going to do to restore humanity back to himself. And Peter takes exception to it. Peter pulls Jesus aside. Listen to what it says. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Satan's agenda for Jesus' life was to, to kill him and to keep him from the purpose for which God had brought him into this world. And guess what? His agenda for your life and in my life is to kill us and to keep us from the life that God wants for us, restored back to himself. Jesus said it best. John 10.10, 10. he says, the thief, and the thief is our enemy, Satan. The thief comes only, read these with me, to steal and kill and destroy that's his only agenda for your life and for my life is to steal, kill, and destroy, to kill you and to keep you from God's purpose. I tell you, it's as clear as I can say it. He is trying to get you to go with him to hell. He's trying to get you to go with him to the place of torment that is destined, he's destined for. And he's trying to make your and my lives miserable every single day until we leave this planet. That's his one agenda for our lives. So let's look at those words again. Steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, and, the, and this is hilarious to me, in, in the Greek, the word is actually klepto. 
That's crazy, isn't it? Like kleptomaniac, someone that has a compulsion to steal. They can't help it. They just have to steal, steal, steal. It's like a, a disorder they have to steal, and they can't stop. So Satan is the original kleptomaniac, all right? But get a picture of this. This is what he wants to do. He's standing at the sales rack of your life. And he's grabbing as many things as he can off the rack. And he's pushing them in his pockets. And he's shoving them under his shirt. And he's taking everything from us that we let him take. If he's a thief, you know what that means? That they, those things don't belong to him. Things like our, our hope and our life and our peace of mind and our joy and our contentment and our, and our relationship with God and so many other things. Those things don't belong to him and he knows that. So he comes in as a thief to take those things that don't belong to him. And unless we say, no, you can't have those things, he'll take them. He comes only to steal. The rest of the series, we're going to talk about how do we stand against what Satan is trying to do in our lives. He comes to steal. Second word that was used there is that he comes to kill. You know, Satan delights in sickness, in injury, in disease, in war, in killing. He loves to see us hurting physically, but he also loves to destroy and kill those things on the inside. And that word is often in the scriptures translated a sacrifice. What does that mean? He's trying to kill us on the inside and here's how. He wants you and I to offer our lives and our hearts and our minds and our wills and, and the desires of our hearts to something and anything other than his son, Jesus Christ. And by doing so, offering our lives as a sacrifice to something else that's trying to replace the one true love and the one true hope and the one true source of peace that we can find in this life, and that's God himself. And he's trying to substitute that with anything else. And kill us from the inside out. He also says he comes to destroy. The word means to lose. You know, he wants you to lose. He wants me to lose. He wanted Jesus to lose. He wanted Judas to lose. He wanted the other disciples to lose. There isn't a person on the planet he doesn't want to lose. And anywhere he can get us losing, he will get us losing. In our relationships, if he can get us depressed, if he can even get us in addiction, if he can get us in bitterness, anywhere that he can sleep, slip in. He wants to destroy. So... That's all great. I'm not, I'm not interested in Satan's agenda. I'm, I'm, I'm not following him. I'm not pursuing him. But here's what I want you to understand, guys. We may be following his agenda and not even realize it. And here's why. Because when you and I have our own agenda apart from God's agenda, let me ask you something. Whose agenda are we really following? Let's look back at what Peter just said in Matthew chapter 16. When, when Jesus said, here's my plan, the plan of God to redeem all mankind. And Peter said, never, no. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was on the right side. And he wanted Jesus to have a crowd he wanted Jesus to be popular. He wanted Jesus to bring in the kingdom. He wanted Jesus to bring him along in all that. He wanted Jesus to stay alive. Yet that was not God's plan. Thank God it wasn't God's plan. 
See, when you and I chase after what we want, nine times out of ten, we are following an agenda counter to God. There are two opposing forces that come at this cross, and, and Satan had an agenda on that cross, and he wanted to kill the Savior of the world, and God had an agenda on that cross, and he wanted to save all humanity through the sacrifice of his Son. Satan's agenda is to steal and to kill and to destroy God's agenda is to restore everything that we lost. Eden can be possible in a sense. Relationships can be harmonious. Our lives can be renewed by God every single day. But it came at a cost. Look at this with me. This is John chapter 12. And Jesus replied, The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. He said, it's time, guys. This is just a day before he, he gets arrested. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know what God didn't do in this moment of, of reconciliation and restoration? He didn't just wave a magic wand and pretend like sin didn't matter. God didn't just wave a magic wand and act like this tsunami of water that is saturating humanity doesn't exist. God didn't just say, hey, the hurt and the pain that you've experienced from sin itself, it doesn't, it doesn't not matter. It matters. And there must be a price Paid for all things to be made new. And that Jesus would have to die in order for you and I to have a victory in him. That colonel had to fall to the ground and die that we might live. And then he says this, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came. Father, glorify your name. In the most humble, sacrificial, amazing act of human history, Jesus willingly gave up his life for you and I. That Jesus willingly laid down his life that we might live. You know, it made me think about, you might remember this name, Coach Aaron Fees from the Parkland shooting, high school shooting, not that long ago. He was a football coach and a loved teacher at that school. And when the shots started ringing out, he got between himself and the, sh the shooter and some other students, he got between them. I think he shoved them in the door of one of the rooms, and then he took off unarmed straight for the shooter, right where the gun was firing. You say, why did he do that? Why, was he, why did he allow himself to get gunned down and killed? He did it because he loved those kids, and he knew exactly what he was doing. He was going to lay down his life because he loved those he sacrificed for. Guys, you know what this cross screams to us? Is that Jesus ran towards death for you and I. Jesus willingly and sacrificially ran towards evil and death and hell and sin. And he said, bring it all on. I'm going to take it that I might die that you would live. He did it because he loves you. 
There's no other explanation. He did it because he's always loved you. And he didn't just say, I love you. He proved, I loved you. As he stretched out his hands and he laid down willingly his life, that God might fulfill his purpose in you and in you and you and me. In fact, the scripture says this, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. This is the good news that Jesus suffering and sacrificing himself, the righteousness of Christ was now giving to us in all of our unrighteousness, all this saturated sin within us was put upon Christ and he ultimately paid every ounce of the judgment for our behalf. And because he died, you and I get to live. Because he died, you and I in Christ can live not just today, we can live every day. And we can be made righteous by God himself. Not because we've earned it, but because he gives it. We can be near God once again. And this distance that we feel apart from Christ, we can draw near to God now. And through a cross and an empty tomb, God is not far off. God is near. And God can restore all things. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he finishes that statement and he says, I came that you might have life and you have it to the full. Jesus didn't come just so you could go to heaven one day, although that is the most important decision you could ever make. He came that you might have life starting today. You might experience fullness today. This cross was so costly. He said, I don't want you to go another day without knowing me in my fullness and the life that I can give. There are two opposing forces at work in every single one of our lives. And the one that gets the upper hand and the one that dominates our life is, the, is really depends on you and I. It's a choice that we make. See, God, our, I love our graphic. It says, run, devil, run. Jesus has already put the devil on the run. The victory that happened through a cross and an empty tomb is final. He has no, nothing else to do but to run for those who know Jesus Christ. And we can live in that sort of victory today. Think about the choice. When I had explained to me that I had a choice, that God was waiting on me to decide, do I receive Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he offers and the relationship with God? Man, that sounded like the best thing I could ever hope for, that God wanted a relationship with me and he was willing to forgive all my sins. I said, that sounds awesome. Why would I choose that, not choose that, when the other, and other side is steal, kill, and destroy? Can I ask you today? If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, to make that choice today, the reason he came was for you. The reason you're here is so that you could respond to his offer of love and forgiveness. 
If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, the one who who restores life back to you, then today can be the day that you choose Christ and his life over Satan and his death. Choose Christ. Choose life. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is a this is a holy moment. This is an awesome decision that I believe there's people in this place wrestling in the battleground of souls right now. And they have a choice to make. The, 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 the beauty of Christ and what he's done for us on a cross is presented before them. But no one can choose for us. We each must choose for ourselves whether we say yes to Jesus Christ is the one who will forgive us and make us righteous in God's eyes and lead us from now into eternity or we choose not to follow him. Got to pray for the person in this room that needs and wants to say yes to you today and wants to open his heart and his life to a relationship with you, not because he's perfect, not because she's earned it, but because they need a Savior, one who died in their place. If that's you this evening, I want to ask if you'll pray with me. Everybody praying for those around you if you've already said yes to Jesus. If tonight's your moment to say yes to God, will you pray with me and say, God, I'm in the middle. I'm caught between these two opposing forces. But I believe Jesus has won the day. I believe his death counts for me. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ to forgive me of all my sins, to usher me into relationship with you, and to lead me into eternal life. And I want to follow you the rest of my days. I want to know you, that God would love me so much. I give you back my life. And Father, I want to pray for all of us as we gather around a a cross where our Savior Jesus bled on our behalf. And if we find ourselves following any agenda other than the agenda that Jesus has for us, God, that tonight would be a turning point for us too. That we would get back in line. We would get back in relationship. We'd come running back to the one that ran through hell and Hades for us. And we'd come running back to our Savior, kneeling in, in renewed commitment and love and admiration and devotion to Jesus Christ, the risen King. God, we thank you for the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's won. And it's his name we pray. Amen.